Rebbe, would you remain standing for a moment longer and turn to 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 18 through 27. First John chapter 2, starting at verse 18, this is the word of our Lord. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that this, it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they, they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit will be wielding it powerfully in our hearts this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. What is your trust in? What is it that you really rely on? What is it that um, you count on for this life? What is it that you reach for when everything is closing on you? In essence, what is your hope in life and in death? Where, where, what, what basket are you putting all your egg, eggs these questions have a lot to do with what John is teaching us in this passage. False teachers, uh, John calls them antichrists, were teaching this congregation that the most important thing was some special knowledge that only a, they had. The kind of special knowledge that you could get only from them. By the way, that's something you should always be concerned if a teacher comes to you in the church and tell, tells you, I have something to tell you that nobody else knows. And you can only get from me. That's exactly what these guys were doing here. And that's not something that we should be super excited about. And they said that this special knowledge they had to give to the church guaranteed God's favor upon them. And this special knowledge included the teaching that Jesus was not what the Bible said he was. In the context of 1 John, the Antichrists were denying that Jesus was fully man and fully God in one person. 
And it said, this is what brings favor with God to you. John, on the other hand, says that our hope in life and in death is not in some secret knowledge. Our only hope is in the whole Christ as taught in the scriptures and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Now this, this morning I want to present this truth in, with two, two points. Now notice the last two sermons have been two points, which is a big anathema in preaching. You should also have three points at least in every sermon. But two points this morning, and you'll notice if you're paying attention that these two points are not different ideas, but they're exactly the same thing, just said differently. And sometimes I find it helpful to say the same thing, but in different ways. It's helpful to me. And the first thing I want us to see this morning is that those who are born from above, those who have been born from Christ, those who have been born again, those who have been given the Spirit of God, are not deceived by false teaching. There's nothing that can be said concerning Christ that is going to deceive those that are truly born from above. And the second thing I want us to see this morning is that the Spirit of God and the Word of God preserve the Christian in his commitment to the Christ of the Bible. You can see this is the same two things, but we're going to look at them from different angles. Last week we saw that we live in time in a time marked by deception. In verses 18 and 19, John tells us that we are in the last hour. And that we know that because antichrists are all over the place. Lots of, of antichrists in the history of the church. And those are pointing to that final antichrist that's coming at the time future to us. And these teachers are Christian teachers, John tells us in verses 18 and 19. That it, what I mean by that is that they were in the church and claim to believe in a version of Jesus. This is not necessarily talking about Jewish people who just plain old refuse to believe in Christ. These are people who claim to be Christians, who perhaps grew up in the church, and now continue to claim faith in some version of Christ. It's just not the Christ of the Bible. And John teaches us, as we saw last week, that the biggest deception is that the Christ of the Bible is not true. And really, this is the biggest threat that we face as the Church of Jesus Christ. It's not Islam. It's not secularism. It's not, it's not the government. The biggest threat we face as the Church of Jesus Christ is a bad theology of Christ. And that's what John tells us in verses 22 and 23. For today, I want us to see that those who are born from above are not deceived by false teaching concerning Christ. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. <clears throat> Little children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. These, uh, these Antichrists had been part of the visible church. They had been one of us. They'd been sitting on the pews. They perhaps there were even elders or deacons or Sunday school teachers in the church. But though they had been part of the church, the visible church, they had never been part of the invisible church of Christ. They had never savingly been united to Christ. F.F. Bruce, a commentator on this epistle, says, Membership in a Christian society does not always imply that one belongs to the 
persevering saints. Enrollment in the register of the local church, Bruce says, does not necessarily carry with it enrollment in the heavenly books of life. These antichrists are proof that just mere involvement in the local church is not what causes you to be a child of God. You become a child of God through faith in the Christ of the Bible, in whom he is and in what he has done for a sinner just like yourself. Now, it's true that you cannot be a faithful Christian without being an active member of a local church, but that is a consequence of having been changed by the Spirit of God and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Not the cause, but the result. It's interesting that here in verse 19, John uses the same word to describe the Antichrist's going out of the church that he used of Judas leaving the upper room to betray Jesus. There are many words he could have used. He chose to use this one. In John 13, verse 30, John says, Having received the piece of bread, talking about Judah, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Now, Judas had been with Jesus from the beginning of his public ministry. With at least, he had been with Jesus for at least two years of his ministry. Judas healed the sick. Judas cast out demons. He proclaimed the gospel of salvation, and people may even have come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the preaching of Judas. But Judas himself had never had his heart changed by that very gospel he heard and was proclaiming. And that's really true of the Antichrist here in chapter 2 as well. And John's explanation for the Antichrist's departure is that they had never truly been part of the church of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. It was obvious for John that the only way one could deny the biblical teaching about Christ and replace it with damnable heresy was if that person had never truly believed in the Christ of the Bible. Now, John Stott says their departure was their unmasking. Once they left, you could see them for who they really were deniers of the Christ of the Bible. It's interesting, though, that their departure may not have been a physical departure. We read this verse, and we naturally think of them actually walking out the door. But they were still in contact with the church because John is writing to them, to the church, saying, don't listen to them. So somehow they still had access to the church. They were still there. So perhaps it wasn't a physical departure, but a theological departure from the church, from departing to what's true. And notice that they don't become antichrist till the, they depart the church. When they leave the church of Jesus Christ, or when they're kicked out of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul had warned the Ephesian elders. Remember, John is writing to the church in Ephesus. And Paul had warned the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 that from among them, woes in sheep's clothing were going to come up. 
and try to deceive them. And that's what's going on here, trying to cause them to depart from the faith that had been once delivered to them by the apostles. But John tells us that those that are truly regenerated by the Spirit, those that have been born again from above, will remain faithful to the Christ of the Bible. Look at the very end of the, the verse, um, the middle of verse 19. He says, For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And what John is telling us is that God will preserve those that are His all the way to the end. As Jesus Himself said in John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. All the fathers given to Jesus will come to him. He will not cast them out, and every one of those will be raised at the last day. They. So John says that if you're truly in Christ, God himself will preserve you to the day of the resurrection. Those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their sins will persevere to the end. We see that in verse 25 where John says, And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. In chapter 5 verse 11, he says that those of us who believe in Jesus have eternal life in the present tense. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you've been born again, if your heart belongs to God, you will never fall away from Him. You will persevere to the end. And that's a promise from the Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, the Christian faith is not about some extraordinary beginning. It is about a faithful ending as we end in Jesus Christ. Remember the parable of the seed, or it's actually the parable of the soils, right? Where the sower goes out and some of the, the seed falls on the road and the bird, birds quickly come and take the seed away, but some of the seed fall on the rocky ground and what happens? They kind of shoot up quickly because the shallow ground, but, but then they um, disappear. Some fall in the thorns and they also come up but the worries of life, choke them. But those that fall in the seed that falls in fertile ground will slowly grow and over a period of a lifetime will produce fruit. And that's really the life of the Christian. A life of steady growth in fruit in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. Where are you with your faith in Jesus Christ today? I don't care about yesterday. Tomorrow's not here yet. All, all that matters is what we believe concerning Christ at this second. Are you believing in the right Jesus? Are you believing in Jesus at all? Are you here but not of here? Jesus gives us a very, very um, disturbing 
warning in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, he says, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Who are you today? If the mask is removed, is it still you? Or are you going to find out that all these years you've been lying about your faith in Jesus Christ to others, to yourself? Where are you with your faith in Jesus Christ at this second? Because all those who belong to God, who have been born again from above, who believe in Jesus Christ, will never be deceived. They will stick to Jesus, with Jesus to the end. Secondly, the Spirit of God and the, the Word of God will preserve the Christian to the end. As we read in verse 20, look at verse 20. <clears throat> but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. And as we read it, I think two questions come to mind immediately. One is, what is this anointing? And uh, know everything about what? Right? It says that we know all things. Let's start with the second one. Um, though our translation says, know all things, the original language behind it says, you all know things. So what John is saying is that he's not bringing up anything new. Say, you all know what I'm talking about. That's what John is saying. You all know these things I'm saying. I'm not bringing anything new. I'm not trying to influence you with some special knowledge. You're hearing what you've heard from the beginning. John keeps connecting what he's saying with what they have always heard in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it says in verse 24 when it says, Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. <clears throat> Revisit this issue in a moment. We look at verse 27. But that's what he means here. We, you all know what I'm saying, I'm talking about. I'm not giving you anything new. Now the anointing that comes from the Holy One in verse 20 is the Holy Spirit, also mentioned in verse 27. The scriptures all often speak of the Holy Spirit as the anointing of, Christ, of God. In Luke 4, um, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, and it says this, He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He, the Lord, has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So here Jesus calls the Spirit the anointing of God. In Acts 10, 38, Again, uh, Peter says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that those who have been born again from above, those who are true believers in Jesus Christ, have received the Holy Spirit as an anointing from God. And the Holy One who sends the Spirit is Jesus Christ Himself. Though theologically the Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son, in the writings of John, John likes to emphasize the fact that the, Jesus Christ is the sender of the Spirit. In John 16, Jesus says that He is going to send the one that is going to lead them into all truth. And the Holy Spirit leads us to the real Jesus. And because of that, we don't need a second blessing or special knowledge for that. Look at verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. For John, truth is embodied in a person, and the spirit of truth is guiding us to know the truth himself. As Jesus says, I am the truth, the way 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I will pray the Father that he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So John is not writing to them because they were unaware of all these things. Rather, he is writing to them because they, he knows, or because they know that these things are true since they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And if you're believing in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you right now. God himself made an abode in your heart. He's present with you at this moment. And the Holy Spirit, together with the apostolic message, that's just another way to talk about the Bible, will safeguard the believer against heresies concerning Christ. Notice that John says that what they heard from the beginning abides in them, in verse 24, and that the anointing abides in them, in verse 27. What they heard from the beginning was the apostolic message, the anointing is the Holy Spirit, with them together, the Bible and the Holy Spirit will keep you, true believer, from believing heresies concerning Jesus Christ. And that's important that we keep in mind. The Holy Spirit always works with the Word and never apart from the Word. They're always together. The Holy Spirit works in us through the Word of God. We should never put one against the other. You know, I don't know if you ever come across somebody saying, I know what the Bible says concerning whatever, but I really feel the Spirit leading me to something that's contrary to what the Bible says. If there's a spirit leading you to do something contrary to the Bible, it's not the spirit of God. It's from the other side. Because the spirit and the word are always working together. In John 14, 26, Jesus promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth. And do you know what the fulfillment of that is? It's a little something we call the New Testament. That's been fulfilled in the New Testament. And John is saying here, this is the truth. Whatever contradicts it is falsehood. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the God-man. Whatever is contrary to that is a lie, he says in verse 22 and 23. I wonder if we as a church and as individuals are as committed to this statement as we should. This is the truth, whatever else is falsehood. It is easier for the moment to muddle things and hide behind the complicated mess that we make. But for the long haul, the simplest thing is to say, this is the truth, whatever else is falsehood. We're really good at complicating things. But the Bible is straightforward. And that's why... The psalmist says that it is a lamp unto our feet and a guide to our path. Straightforward. We know what it says. But we're really good at saying, the Bible says, I know the Bible says, but the Spirit and the Word work together for us to see Jesus Christ. Now look at verses 26 and 27 with me for a moment. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 
But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone teach to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now we look at these two verses, and if we look at them by themselves, I do not need uh, use the analogy of faith. That is, if we don't use scriptures to interpret scriptures, we're going to get out ourselves into trouble. Because if we let verse 26 and 27 be the only thing it says, we're going to end up denying that we need teachers in the church. Right? Because it says in verse 27 um, that you don't need any teachers to teach you. And yet, we need to compare scriptures with scriptures, as our confession says. John cannot mean in these verses that the church does not need any teachers. And there are several reasons for that. One is this. What is it doing in 1 John? He's teaching. Right? So just that is a good indication that he didn't mean this is a universal statement. Secondly, the, one of the gifts the ascended Christ gave to his church in Ephesians 4, 11 was teachers. There are teachers that are going to equip her to the work, to the work of the ministry. James regulates who should be a teacher and who should not be a teacher, and that implies that teachers are have a function in the church. One of the requirements to be an elder in the church, one of the qualities you have to have before to be considered is that you're able to teach. So you can see that John doesn't mean to have no teachers at all in the church. What John means here is that the church does not need anyone teaching her anything contrary to what the Spirit has already revealed to her in the Scriptures concerning Christ. The church doesn't need anybody denying Christ. That's the kind of teacher that it does not need. He's speaking about the completeness of the revelation of God. Remember, the Antichrist were claiming they had some special teaching that knowingly contradicted the teaching of the apostles. The church doesn't need that kind of teaching. Now, the false teachers didn't have the anointing, John says, and that's why they were false teachers. They didn't have the spirit dwelling in them. And this is true of anybody who denies that Jesus is the God-man. Anyone who denies that Jesus is who he says he is in the Bible does not have the spirit of God in them. And John is teaching here that when we are trying to figure out whether we should listen to a Christian teacher, the first thing we need to determine is not how eloquent he is or easy to understand or his academic um, credentials. The first thing we need to figure out is this. Does he get Christ right? And by implication, does he get the Trinity right? If he doesn't, then the Spirit is not in him, and he does not get the Bible correctly. In John, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says that the only way to know God is by the Spirit of God. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't get God the way he reveals himself in the Bible. So being Trinitarian, believing in the Father, the God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God, is the absolutely non-negotiable minimum, minimum for one to teach and be heard by the church. And the Antichrists are denying that. The Antichrists claim they can provide teaching that will supplement, that is complete or enhance the scriptures or correct the truth of Christian revelation. They say, yeah, the apostles said or wrote this, but let me tell you what a better way. 
The thing is that no one who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit will willfully attempt to supplement or correct Christian revelation. They will not say that they have a message from God that's not in the Bible. Anyone who says that is an antichrist, and the Spirit of God does not dwell in them. And what John says here has tremendous implication for counseling the church. Are the Spirit and the Word not sufficient for matters of the heart, mind, inner man? I'm using these three words because in the Bible they are all synonymous. The, the Antichrists are saying, you need something else. You need a knowledge that I have to give it to you that's not in the Bible. But without it, you cannot have the favor of God. Do we need something else to know how to follow God? Do we need something else besides the Spirit and the Word to deal with the issues of the heart, the mind, the inner man? Do we need something from a world system that not only denies who Christ is, but also is in enmity toward God in order to be faithful to God? I wanted to be, I'm struggling with my family, I'm struggling to be a godly husband, so I'm going to look for the opinions of a world that would prefer that went to hell than follow Jesus Christ. I'm struggling with desires. I'm struggling with um, obsessions. I'm struggling with all kinds of things. I'm going to now listen to a world that would prefer that I burnt in hell than follow Jesus Christ. Is that where I get my wisdom? The Antichrist would say, yes. But guess what they were? They were anti-Christ. To do that seems like wanting to drink poison in order to feel better. John already said that in verses 15 through 17 of this chapter. So people of God, is Christ sufficient for you? The Christ that the Spirit and the Word point you to. Is this sufficient for you? Do you believe in this Christ that's both God and man, who is the Savior of the world, whose life, death, Crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension are sufficient to give you eternal life. Now, John now has given us three tests to help us know what, that we know that Christ is our Savior. The first one is, am I obeying what God says in His Word? The second is, do I love those whom Christ loves, our brethren? Today he added the third, do I believe in the Jesus of the Bible who is both man and God and who is able to save the ends of the earth? Do I believe in that? Don't leave today without making sure that you believe in this Jesus. Because that's the difference between eternal life with God and eternal life under the wrath of God apart from His love. Do you believe in this Jesus? Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> we pray that our faith would be in this Jesus, the one, the only one revealed in your word, your son, the God-man, the Savior of the world. Grant us that kind of faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.